0: Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Randy Franz as he shares this week's message. Well, good morning. Thank you very much for that worship. When I say Emmanuel, What comes to mind? I guess it's Christmas time. Because that's when we most often hear the term Emmanuel. We know that Emmanuel means God with us. And it is used to reference Jesus Christ coming to us in human form. God himself or shows himself to man in this way to be with us in this physical manner. It's amazing. But I'm not going to bring an overtly Christmas message to you this morning, partly because it's August, and I don't want to steal pastor's thunder this December, when he does bring you an overtly Christmas message, hopefully. You're welcome. And yet, God's appearing with us is never confined in scripture to one act, such as the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, nor is God bound by a season. As if we can only discuss or celebrate his appearance with us once a year. That would be like saying August is National Ice Cream Month. It's the only time you can have ice cream. That would be foolishness. It should be mandatory year-round. And every day. day. (laughs) Yeah, really. But God's presence with mankind and God appearing to human beings is the most sobering, awe-inspiring, most dramatic thing there is in life. God's presence has been and it always will be. And for humanity, that began in the Garden of Eden with Adam, and it continues all through history. And it will culminate in the new heavens and the new earth when God will allow us to see him face to face for the first time and be with him forever. Wow, what a glorious day. But oh, what a fright until that day. For no person can see God's face and live, he tells Moses. In other words, we can't see God in his fullness because he is infinite and we are finite. He is holy and we are sinful. He is pure and we are stained. He is overwhelming and we are consumed by his radiance and his glory. I want you to think for a minute about the sun in our solar system, the sun. It's one star out of hundreds of billions. We I don't even, can't even count how many there are. And from a distance, the sun is nice. It's bright. It's warm. It gives us enough heat to grow tomatoes and melt snow into water paints the most beautiful canvas you'll ever see in the sunrise and the sunset. But up close, it's incomprehensible. It's violent. It's it's a fury of, of flames lashing thousands of miles in the air. And it does this all the time. Somebody actually calculated, I don't know how they could calculate this, but they calculated the energy of the sun and they put an equivalent to it in human terms. It's equal to 100 billion tons of dynamite exploding every second. Not sure how you quantify that, but think about it. 100 billion tons of dynamite every second, get even a little too close to the sun and we would just be vaporized into ash and that ash would be gone in a nanosecond. It's the sun, it's also massive. A million Earths can fit inside the sun. A million Earths. And yet God spoke the sun into existence. And not only the sun, all the stars, hundreds of billions, probably more than we can count, and the planets and the solar systems, all of space which continues to expand he spoke it and yet god says the universe all of it all of that fits into the palm of his hand now he's speaking figuratively because god doesn't have a physical human hand as we as we know it but he's given us a word picture so that we understand how unfathomable it god is for our finite human minds one scholar summed it up says, he is the Lord of the universe, and he cannot be captured within the universe. That makes sense. And he's so immense and grand that even something as undefinably large as the physical universe to God is, is like us having a, holding a little BB in, our, in the palm of our hand. And I know that's an analogy that falls woefully short of the enormity of God, but just trying to drive home the picture We try to get of trying to wrap our minds around the enormity of God. I think of people who faint when they come into the presence of a celebrity that they adore. Some people just swoon and faint, right? Well, God is so much more than an earthly celebrity that if we came into his presence like that, we would die instantly. This is what he told Moses. Moses said he wanted to see God's glory. <laughs> God replied, you'll die if you see my face, my fullness. And so with this in mind, we're going to focus today on the human reaction to God's appearing to mankind. It's a huge part of scripture. In fact, the very Bible that we have in our, in our laps and our hands this morning. That's his presence with us. He is Emmanuel in scripture. God is with us. He is alive. And he speaks to us through the word in his Bible. And within these pages he records for us specific examples of his interactions with humanity down through the ages. He explains how he reveals to himself to us today and he describes in great detail what and how his presence guides us throughout the rest of history into eternity and then he also uses these interactions to show us his character and this helps us to know god it helps us to worship him as he is and then rely on him daily with the hope and the knowledge that christ is alive and and will come again to redeem his people what a gracious Merciful God to create ways to be with us despite His all consuming holiness. He has to create ways to do that, and He has in His grace and mercy. Well, not surprisingly, God's appearing to us, His presence with us, is like far too big of a theme for me to cover in full detail this morning, but I want to zero in on one particularly fascinating aspect of God's appearances. And this is the human reaction to it that's recorded in the Bible. And then within that, I wanna bore down even further. I'm gonna tap into what happens when God appears in his most intense form. And that's a visible manifestation. Because the Bible will often say, uh, so-and-so heard heard the Lord or, or this. But when he brings a physical manifestation What happens when the Bible says the Lord appeared? Because over and over it says he appeared to a person here, a person there, and in all kinds of situations. So what did that person who saw that appearance or witnessed that appearance, what did they do? What did they say? What are we to do? What are we to say? What does God want us to know from these interactions? Well, Bible scholars have coined a word to describe the special instances when God appears to man in visible manifestations. You see it up there as theophany. And the term is derived from two Greek words, theos, the word is the word for God. And phaino means appear in a passive form. So theophany is God appearing or an appearance of God. And you'll notice in Scripture that theophany can apply to many types of manifestations of God. And some are more obvious than others. Some are more detailed than others. But for the purposes of our discussion today, we're going to consider man's reaction to the most intense form. It's when there's a physical appearance of some sort. God manifests himself physically. Theologian Wayne Grudem puts it this way, that although God's total essence will never be able to be seen by us, nevertheless... God still shows something of himself to us through visible, created things. And these physical appearances, particularly in the Old Testament, are in very distinct forms. Fire, cloud, thunderstorms, glory, or brightness. King's court, man, warrior, chariot. He uses these things to manifest himself. Now, the ultimate, I should say, physical appearance, of course, is Jesus Christ, God the Son who took on flesh and bones and walked among humanity for 33 years. Hebrews 1 says he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Now, at this point, I should say I'm indebted to a work, excuse me, a work by... Vern Poythrit, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, Poythris, Pothris. He's a seminary professor who researched and wrote a a book, Theophany, A Biblical Theology of God's Appearing. I recommend it highly to anybody who wants to delve into this study and study a little deeper. And I'll be drawing from his work at several points throughout the message today. Uh, I do like how he has summarized the theme by saying, the God who reveals himself intensively in theophany is the same God who comes to each one of us as an individual. It's the same God. The burning bush came to Moses, same God today, whom we worship and lives within us. That's important to remember. Poitras also observes, the visible appearing of God manifests his splendor and majesty. It manifests the character of God which is supremely glorious and worthy of honor. I think that's well summarized. So God has given us a record of his most intense appearances to people, and the majority of responses by the people to God's appearing is fear. Does this seem right? Does it seem right to you that it would be fear? If we know that God is love... Why isn't the overwhelming response of people who come and see that manifestation, why isn't it love back and and adoration? I would say because, as scripture tells us, fear is actually the beginning of wisdom. Fear is the beginning of knowledge, according to God. I would also say this. It's because of authority. God is love and he no doubt loves us more intimately than we can understand. We also adore him but he has authority over life. He has authority over all of life. He literally holds our lives and the lives of everybody in his hands. And this authority means that we shouldn't, we can't take him lightly. Think of earthly examples. We have Anybody in even a little position of authority, we have a little bit of a healthy fear—a parent, a coach, a teacher, um, an officer of the law, uh, an officer of the court, uh, somebody in a government agency. This, we do have a—if if they're right, we have a little bit of fear of them, um, and it's proportional in with our respect for the person. The more we respect who they are and how wide their authority ranges, uh, the more we have a healthy fear of them. And we may even love them, love who they are, while at the same time understanding that they can make decisions that deeply affect our lives. So in the same way, when we see God for who he is, we should have a healthy fear of him. We love him, we love who he is, while at the same time understanding that he holds our lives in his hand. Matthew 10, 28 says, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. In other words, don't fear humanity, even if they threaten you. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So let's take a look at examples of theophany, these intense theophanies, starting in the Old Testament. And it's not an exhaustive list. I don't have time for all of those. But I've pulled together many of the most intense physical manifestations of God and to show how people usually respond. And you can find others and and go into various levels of detail. I encourage you to do that. And on the monitor, I will post on the monitor, uh, you'll see I've highlighted the text that shows the human reaction to it. And this is just to help you to kind of key in on it. So we'll start with Adam and Eve, Genesis 2 and 3. This section describes the first human beings and where God placed them, the Garden of Eden. In Genesis 3, 8, it says, and they, meaning Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Notice their reaction to God appearing as a sound. They hid. When do you hide? You hide when you're afraid, when you fear. Next is Abram, Genesis 17. It says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. A little bit later in Genesis 17, Abraham has now been given the name, or Abram's now been given the name Abraham by God. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her a name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give her a son by you. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abram fell on his face. Let's see what Isaac does in Genesis 26. From there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I'm the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you, and I will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. Notice how God knew his appearance would be alarming to Isaac, so he told him right away not to fear. God does this in certain cases to make sure that they hear and carry out his commands rather than be overcome and not be able to receive the word. Let's move on to Jacob. In Genesis 28, it describes a dramatic dream in which God shows Jacob a ladder linking heaven with earth. And Jesus himself later identifies himself as that ladder. Look at what it says. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep, And said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was what? Afraid. And he said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Let's look at another one with Jacob. A little bit later, Jacob has a wrestling match with what he says is a man, what he calls a man, but it's really God. God changes his name from Israel to Jacob, and he blesses him. And so Jacob called the name of the place Peniel for saying, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. So we know what his expectation was, understanding that his life should have been taken because he saw God face to face. Moses in Exodus 3. Bear with me. We're going to go through these at the end, and you'll survive, I guarantee This is the story of God appearing to Moses on Mount Sinai in the form of a bush that burns but is never never destroyed. This is a familiar story. And God said, or he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Are we seeing a theme here? Moses again requests that God show him his glory in Exodus 33. And God replies, You cannot see my face. For man shall not see me and live. You shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. The Israelites, when God appears as pillars of cloud and fire, shielding them, he shields them from the Egyptians, protects them, and then he parts the Red Sea for their escape. Exodus 14.31 says, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. And then again at Mount Sinai in Exodus 20, it says, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the, the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you, you speak to us, and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us, lest we die. In the book of Judges, we have a story of the parents of Samson, a man named Manoah and his wife. And God appears in what the text says is an angel or a divine messenger to tell two Israelites they will have a child. Manoah and his wife will have a child and that child will be Samson. In verse 20b, it says, now Manoah and his wife were watching and they fell on their faces to the ground. And then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die, for we have seen God. Joshua, in Joshua 5, he's near Jericho. He sees a vision of a warrior. And he asks whose army he belongs to. The text reads, and he said, no, but I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped. Balaam in the book of Numbers this is quite a story if you haven't read it before please go there, Numbers 22 an angel of the Lord stands in the way of the donkey that Balaam is riding the donkey's afraid and stops as well he should Balaam can't see the angel of the Lord so he chastises the donkey Well, God goes ahead and speaks to Balaam anyway through the donkey, it's awesome the text says, verse, uh, says, then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed down, and he fell on his face. In the book of Judges, God manifests as, as an angel of the Lord to commission Gideon for battle. Then Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, and Gideon said, alas... O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, peace be to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. (laughs) Vern Poythras, the author of that book, I noted, he notes that the intensity of the experience suggests that Gideon has encountered a messenger who is divine, who is God himself. So we see a theme. These are all what we might call people of God, used by God as prophets and God's chosen ones. But how about the Philistines? In 1 Samuel, we read that the Israelites proposed to bring the Ark of the Covenant into the war camp so God may fight for them against the Philistines. And even the Philistines recognize some of the dangerous significance of the Ark, which is where uh, God was said to dwell with his people. So speaking of the Philistines, and when they learned that the ark of the Lord had come to the camp, the Philistines were afraid. for They said, a God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us. Who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? They got it mostly right. It wasn't multiple gods. It was one God, but they got the woe part right. Then Elijah and the Israelites and First Kings—all miracles, all miracles—manifest the pres- a special, presence of, a special presence of God. This is on here on Mount Carmel. Elijah calls on God, who brings down fire from heaven to consume an offering. He had set up a little contest among them and the prophets of Baal. When God does it, when all the people saw it. They fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Isaiah, in the famous passage in Isaiah 6, sees a vision of God on his throne. And immediately Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of Jesus, the Lord of hosts. Moving on, Ezekiel, the prophet, he's given a vision of God. Very elaborate details. Ezekiel 1. Details, approaching throne of God. It says, the hand of the Lord was upon him there. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard the voice of one speaking. How about Daniel? I'm testing Ben here. On the slides, thanks Ben. Daniel in Daniel chapter 10 describes a vision of a heavenly being marked by appearances such as lightning and flaming torches. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision for the men who were with me did not see the vision but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone, and I saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and feet. And we'll finish the Old Testament with Job. Job 40, 1 through 5 says, And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder, that's Job, contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. How, what shall I answer you? I lay a, a hand, a, my hand upon my mouth. I've spoken once, I will not answer twice, I'll proceed no further. So now let's look into the New Testament. Again, I'm bringing selected examples, okay, to show the human reaction. Keep in mind the the whole of the New Testament represents theophany and the appearance of the Son of God, Jesus Christ in the flesh and his resurrection. So let's go right into the thick of Jesus' ministry, what's called the transfiguration. With Peter James and John's reaction in Matthew 17 verses 5 and 6 as behold a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased listen to him when the disciples heard this they fell on their faces and were terrified the Roman centurion as Jesus is being crucified Jesus yields up his spirit on the cross Matthew 27 says, When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe. And they said, Truly this was the Son of God. How about the tomb guards? Where Jesus was buried. Matthew 28, verses 1 through 4 says, Now after the Sabbath, toward the first day of the dawn of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. In the book of Acts at Pentecost, After the Holy Spirit came upon the 11 apostles, 11 at that point, he came in a mighty rushing wind and tongues of fire. And Peter then proclaims the gospel to Jews from every nation who were gathered in Jerusalem at that time to celebrate the festival. The text says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe could also be translated fear came upon every soul. The Apostle Paul in Acts 9. Now as he, as Saul at that time, went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. verse 6 it says the men who were traveling with Paul stood speechless hearing the voice but seeing no one what's interesting is later in Acts 26 Paul is addressing King Agrippa and he references the experience by saying he was with other people at the time and all had fallen to the ground all of them and then we'll finish with this John the Apostle In Revelation 1, John describes the vision of the risen Jesus Christ in heaven. A vivid, vivid picture of his glory. It says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this? Well, we heed the examples given by God, and we do what the first people did. We do what our forefathers in the faith did. We do what the prophets did. We do what the apostles did. We do what the disciples did. And we do what the martyrs did. We have reverence for God. We recognize that he exceeds what we can understand fully and so we have awe and reverence for him. We humble ourselves before him. Again, understanding that he is far beyond our full comprehension. And then we worship him. We worship him as he is, as he reveals himself to us, not as we deemed to fashion him ourselves. How does he reveal himself? He is awesome. He is majestic. He is mighty. He's holy and he's full of glory. In Isaiah 66, God says, This is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. So God has recorded his various appearances, these theophanies, really as a resource to inspire us by revealing who he is. He's worthy of all of our reverence, all of our worship. He lavishes his love upon us in the forgiveness and the grace and the saving grace of Jesus Christ. We know that. And that brings us to the final and climactic theophany in history, the second coming of Jesus Christ. He's coming as a judge. What will be your reaction? I pray that all of us here will have humbled ourselves before him, that we understand that we have broken God's law. We're unable to stand before a holy, pure, God because of our record of sin that we deserve the penalty of hell and the only remedy is to repent of our sin and trust in Jesus who took our penalty this penalty of everlasting spiritual death by dying on the cross coming back to life and he offers us this everlasting life as a free gift just by trusting in him repenting of our sin and trusting in his goodness and the work that he did, not trusting in ourselves. So do not wait. If you haven't trusted your eternity to this awesome lover of your soul, do it today. You don't know how much longer you have. Once your earthly body body is taken from you, it's too late. You'll stand in judgment But if you have trusted in Christ's redemption, then rest in the knowledge that he is coming to take you into his permanent presence, his permanent theophany. And we look to the words of Scripture in Revelation 5 to show us how he is to be worshiped now and for eternity. It says, To him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might, forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. My brothers and sisters, stand in awe of God. Despite our constant sin, He constantly pursues us with His love and His power. And he wants to be in our presence. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. That is the consummate fulfillment of the principle of Emmanuel. God with us. Let's pray. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, we simply thank you that you reveal yourself to us, that you pursue us with your love, with your power, that you would give us these examples so that we may know you, we may know your goodness, we may know your holiness, your purity, your grace, and your mercy. Lord, help us to rest in that, understanding that you are more than able to rescue us, that you have done the work, and you offer it to us freely, and that throughout the days that you give us, you are with us no matter what. We thank you, we praise you, and we offer up up our worship to you in the name of your precious son, Jesus Christ. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help share the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.